Guardian Unlimited. Exploring Australia podcasts are brought to you in association with Travel. Go to austravel.com. That's austravel.com for more information on this and other Australian destinations. Hello, this is Mark Chipperfield for Guardian Unlimited. I'm spending the day in the Blue Mountains, which is west of Sydney and has been a popular getaway spot for honeymooners and weekenders for over 100 years. I'm starting my trip in Springwood in the house of Norman Lindsay, perhaps the most famous person ever to live in the Blue Mountains. And I'm here with Gay McKenna, who's the museum officer at the museum here, which is it's more than a museum, really, because it's a gallery and also it's the... It's the house that Norman Lindsay lived in for most of his life. And Gay's just going to give me a little thumbnail sketch of Norman Lindsay and some things he's famous for, including, of course, the magic pudding. Yes, the magic pudding was written in 1918 as a bet with his friend. And Norman won the bet because the book hasn't been out of print since it was released. The friend said that people like to read about fairies, and Norman said that was rubbish, they like to read about food. And so The Magic Pudding has become an Australian children's classic because it was the first book written using Australian animals within the story. There was an um, animated uh, version of this for the big screen made, I think, two or three years ago, and my recollection is that John Cleese had a small part in that. Did you ever see that one? Yes, John Cleese played the role of The Magic Pudding. He was the voice, and The Magic Pudding is a character that is a come-again pudding and doesn't like being eaten. Well, I'm here in Lura, which is um, the sort of twin town to Katoomba, which is the most famous um, town in the Blue Mountains. You can probably hear a lot of wind in the background. I've managed to come to the Blue Mountains on the day of quite a big storm. We're actually getting some... (laughs) It was a beautifully sunny day today, and we're getting this howling winds and... um, the odd spot of rain. Um, so we're seeing the Blue Mountains in its sort of alpine glory. It sort of fulfills all the fantasies of the early European holiday makers who used to come here and pretend that they were in the Tyrol. But I'm sitting here in, um, in Lura at the uh, Old St Albans Church with John Lowe, who's a um, local historian and has worked at the Blue Mountain City Library for 20 years. He's got a particular interest in the early settlement in the mountains and the attempts by the British colonists to cross the Blue Mountains, which of course are just to the west of Sydney. And John, the first crossing was in 1812, 1813, I understand. Well, the first practical passage across the Blue Mountains direct from the Sydney, the Cumberland Plain, was discovered by Blacksland, Wentworth and Lawson in 1813. There had been a lot of earlier exploration that had built up to this point and uh, the kind of myth or legend of Blacksland, Wentworth and Lawson that's grown in Australian history has kind of written out a lot of the earlier exploration. I'm told that the Irish convicts when they first arrived in Australia actually believed that they could reach Ireland via China if they crossed the Blue Mountains. Is that right? 
It was indeed a widespread belief amongst a lot of the convicts in the uh, early years and indeed was one of the prime motivations for one of the early exploration expeditions that was sent out. Uh, the one led by an ex-convict, John Wilson, who took with him actually a number of Irish convicts uh, who the governor at the time hoped would return and uh, dispel that rumour amongst their fellows. Unfortunately, they tired of the expedition very early and Wilson and his partners were left to carry on. But uh, the myth was indeed quite widespread. If we fast forward to the end of the 19th century, the Blue Mountains becomes a very um, sought-after and high-class um, getaway from the heat of the plains. We're talking, uh, talking about a period, of course, before air conditioning and, and fast transport. And a lot of the wealthy Sydney scientists came here to stay in quite grand hotels and, in a sense, pretend that they were... Um, in Europe again because the vegetation here it being a bit cooler and so on they, and they lived out the sort of fantasy that they were back in Europe and they did all sorts of eccentric things can you tell me some of the things that used to go on here well, it was the idea of the hill country. I mean, you look at all a lot of the British colonies around the world and they all had their hill settlements to get away from the heat of summer and the dirt of the, the cities and the old health ideas that uh, disease was carried on the wind and by smell. So in the late 19th century, after it was after the railway was built. That was the crucial thing. The Western Railway extended from Penrith across the Blue Mountains, opened up the Blue Mountains to settlement. There was no settlement here before that date other than inns and police stations and military depots and so on. So the towns began to develop after the late 1860s, during the 1870s and 1880s and with that came the in the upper Blue Mountains a lot of the big hotels being built to cater for the wealthy tourists from Sydney who would come up in the summer to um, take the air if you like and uh, to enjoy various pursuits, um, everything from the scientific investigations, because we were, that was the age of the amateur, and natural history was an important recreation, and to hiking and walking and so on. As the late 19th century moved on, uh, changes in Australian society also brought uh, a growing middle class, which was more affluent and had more recreation time, and you got more cheaper uh, accommodation and so on for people too up here. So you got, uh, by, the, by the turn of the century and in those early years up to World War I and then reaching its peak in the 1920s, you got full-scale sort of middle-class tourism, if you like. And accompanying that, you, you had to cater the latest entertainment, of course, for the people who came. So we had roller skating rinks and uh, we're very early getting the moving pictures up here and the motor car was used very early. Every guest house worth its salt would have a, a motor that would meet people at the station and so on and would then take them round all the lookouts and, and what have you. In, indeed, a lot of the early walking tracks, I guess, went into a little bit of decline because people wanted to see as much as they could and the motor car was the agent of that. I understand during the Second World War there were actually plans to make this the last line of defence and that... Um, if Sydney fell to the Japanese, the, the Home Guard, which was the same as it was in the UK, as Dad's Army, would, would dig in in the Blue Mountains and uh, fight, fight to the last man. Is that correct? 
Well, in some ways, yes. I mean, there was there were a lot of very expert bushmen up here who were perhaps too elderly to go into the, the army, and a lot of them were deployed in the civil defence. That was a time, too, when a lot of the roads were developed, like Bell's Line, the alternative route over the mountains, was developed during that time, much, or upgraded to take military transport and so on. So, in a way, yes, that, that, that did indeed happen, that the mountains would be like that. And it's very interesting, you know, that... William Lawson mentioned in his journal in 1813 that the mountains would be very crucial in the defence of the colony um, and to see this sort of uh, taken to heart in in the Second World War. Of course, um, that never eventuated. Australia wasn't uh, invaded. It was bombed a couple of times and there was a mini-sub in uh, Sydney Harbour, which, of course, uh, was a huge news. Um, And today the Blue Mountains has really reverted to what it's always been, a a pleasure park for urbanites who need to breathe fresh air and explore thousands of uh, kilometres of natural bushland. But I think one of the things that people don't understand about the Blue Mountains is also a sort of satellite town for Sydney. A lot of people live here and commute into the city. So it, in a way, has a sort of a dual purpose. Each generation seems to find another uh, purpose for the Blue Mountains, and it's appeal really seems to be completely undying. Yes, uh, of course the types and the fashions of tourism change a lot and certainly since the Second World War with the uh, um, changes like the electrification of the railway, the availability of motor cars to families and so on, tourism has changed a lot and it has affected the mountains and in the 50s and 60s I guess the Blue Mountains went through a bit of a down period but now it's changed again and we get a lot of lovely little guest houses now which cater what they call the, I'm not sure that the word is a good one, but boutique guest houses which offer a more sort of comfortable, small scale comfy experience for the visitors who come up with um, plenty of the little walking tracks are getting much more used now and people are enjoying the bush and and coming up for often weekend breaks Well John, um, I think we're about to be blown off the Blue Mountains back into Sydney if we stay here much longer so I'm going to bid you farewell and thank you very much for giving me so much time and and so many interesting insights into the history and the development of this fantastic national park. Thank you Mark it's been a pleasure Well I don't know how much of this you're going to hear because the wind is absolutely howling past me here but I'm actually on uh, Echo Point probably one of the most popular places for tourists to come They say there are 3 million people a year visit the Blue Mountains. I think most of them are actually here today. It's absolutely packed. It's like the Lake District in high summer. Uh, You can't move. There's always a group of schoolgirls, and they're obligingly down there giggling. But having said all of that, it is a fantastic view. The um, three sisters, the famous three sisters on my left, and uh, we're looking out into the Jamison Valley. We're about 170 metres above the valley floor here on a, a, one of these very dramatic sandstone escarpments. The Blue Mountains are looking blue. It's not the most brilliant day, but the sun's come out. There's a lot of very dramatic shadows. You can see right into the distance, and it's, it's actually quite, quite dramatic today because of the mist. And the, the girls are still enjoying themselves. Of course, the great thing to do in the mountains is to walk. Most of the people here have only walked from their coaches, and they'll probably walk back to the coach, and that'll be it. 
I understand that if you're on a very tight schedule. Oh God, it's a huge, huge blow. If you're on a tight schedule, that's probably all you can manage. But from here, there are loads of fantastic walks. Some of them are obviously a bit tough. Um, you can cheat, though. There's a scenic railway that takes you down into the valley and um, brings you back up. Um, the ideal thing to do is obviously walk one of the sections. So you stretch your legs and fill your lungs with this fantastic alpine air. So that's what we're about to do and leave the schoolgirls and the coach parties to take their, take their photograph in front of the three sisters, which I have to say, I still don't, I can't see why they're called three sisters, but anyway, I'm sure there's a good reason for it. We're off on the railway. The sound you were just hearing was the uh, the cables bringing up the uh, scenic railway to the um, uh, depot uh, at the top of the cliff, and we're actually sitting in the train now. A train is a sort of odd description because it's more like a sort of a roller coaster with a sort of mesh roof, bright red seats. Um, I'm hoping we're not going to do the loop, loop the loop, and then we just actually go straight down. The um, this is one of the old sort of uh, attractions in uh, the Blue Mountains. It's been here since 1878. It was originally steam driven. Um, I'm assured that they've changed the the, the cables and the and, and the actual rails since then. Um, so we should be fairly safe. Um, Eight dollars each way. Um, because I'm a cheapskate, I've you probably hear the galahs in the background, which is quite nice. <laughs> I've volunteered to walk back up. It's a 1,000 steps back up to the top. It saves a bit of money, and it stretches the, the legs, and um, that's what we're here for. But here we go. Oh, we're going to get some sort of commentary. Oh, my God. This is steep. <laughs> this is a sheer drop. We're going through a tunnel now. And uh, the music actually doesn't help very much. Um, I'm sliding off the chair into the rail in front of me. You can see a bit of the... This is absolutely terrifying. I don't know why I'm doing this. Absolutely. This is... There was no warning about this ride. It just said it was a scenic train trip. My God. We're going straight down. Um, we're into the forest now, which makes me feel a bit more comfortable, but not that much. I suppose if we came off, I'd be impaled on one of these gum trees. Um, well, there's not much screaming, apart from me, which I'm a bit disappointed in. The Japanese tourists have obviously done all this type of stuff before. Um, but, wow... I'm here with Hanata, who's just walked down the Ferber steps. It's a 1,000 steps, and it says on the board that it ta should take 30 minutes. How long did it take you? 10 minutes, more or less. Oh, you're very fit. Yeah, because it's only go down. If you go, uh, go up, I think it's more, yeah. I think it's 30 minutes. <laughs> what do you think of the Blue Mountains? It's a beautiful place. Well, here I am. I've reached the top of the Ferber stairs. It wasn't too bad after all. And um, 
It's uh, late afternoon, 4.25 to be precise, and it's turned into a, a beautiful day. The, the wind's dropped. Um, the light is magnificent. You hear the galahs back. Um, and uh, I'm sitting right under the cable car, which is the other main attraction here. I have to say I opted out of that one because of the high wind, but it looks fine now. And that takes you right across the the valley and no doubt has some very dramatic views but the walk up is is definitely worth doing or if you've got dodgy knees maybe walk down the waterfalls lovely little caves the, the vegetation is is beautiful and it's so quiet in the forest after the the noise and the congestion of the uh, of katoomba it's a real respite in fact it's hard to believe you're only 65 kilometers from the centre of Sydney here. It seems really like another world. We've packed in a lot but I don't really feel as I've even scratched the surface and you need I would say two full days to get some sense of the enormity and diversity of the Blue Mountains and uh, we're going to uh, wind down now by um, getting some light refreshment. The sound you can hear behind me is the... um, chatter of contented people having a drink after a day in the mountains we're in the Gardener's Inn in um, Blackheath, it's a lovely little village, about um, 10 miles down the road from Katoomba a bit quieter, one of my favourite spots in the mountains Gardener's Inn, they tell me, dates back to 1832, so it makes it one of the oldest pubs in the Blue Mountains, and in my opinion one of the best Blue Mountains is extremely accessible from Sydney trains every hour from uh, Central Station. Uh, it takes about two hours to get up here. You can drive in about an hour and a half, depending on traffic. And there are some fantastic walks from here. Govett's Sleep is, uh, is a popular one. And um, to me, this is the true Blue Mountains. From here up to Mount Victoria is where it becomes really spectacular. I've got my Guinness and feeling very uh, fresh-faced and uh, content with myself. So I'm going to sign off here and encourage you to uh, um, follow in my footsteps, spend a couple of days in the Blue Mountains, get out amongst it, um, get out on one of the walking tracks and um, explore really one of the great wonders of Australia and a place that, unfortunately, most people just drive through and uh, never experience properly. Anyway, I'm going to finish my uh, Guinness now. Exploring Australia podcasts are brought to you in association with Oztravel. Go to oztravel.com. That's austravel.com for more information on this and other Australian destinations. Guardian Unlimited.